Welcome to the podcast, Fibromyalgia Real Solutions with Amanda Love. My name is Amanda Lise Love, and I'm a registered holistic nutritionist who works with those with fibromyalgia. And today's guest is Jay. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad to get to know you and share your story and your expertise. So tell me, what is your story? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, if, if I was to tell you the full thing, we would still be here tomorrow. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do we'll do the short version. Um, but but the, the essentially, I was diagnosed with ADHD as a preteen, as many people my age were. I'm 34. So this was the late 90s. And uh, unfortunately for me, this was when all of the you know, chemical companies were rolling out all their latest uh, latest inventions. And my therapist put me on like five in, in a couple of years span. And, and if we all remember that period of our lives, well, this is the preteen years, uh, that's puberty, which is just so much fun for everybody anyways. And then you add on to that, uh, all this, you know, high levels of medication and the fact that I'm a guy who, who has struggled with my mental health. I, I have uh, anxiety and depression issues as well as uh, struggles with OCD. And you kind of mix all that up and, and, it, and it creates a perfect storm uh, that my therapist unfortunately took a look at that, that he helped create, mind you, and gave it a new name. And that name was bipolar disorder, which is a pretty serious is uh, issue of mental health. It's a very serious diagnosis. And like many people, my family did not get a second opinion. That's, that's very common in the mental health world, it, not getting a second opinion. And my therapist put me on those medications. By my late teens, we're skipping forward about five years now. I am, oh man, I'm on five or six different drugs every single day. I am misusing all of those drugs. And I, and I use that word intentionally. You notice I don't say substance abuse. Uh, misuse is a more accurate term, which means I'm taking more than I should essentially. And uh, on top of that, of course, I'm, I'm using uh, things like cannabis to feel better every day. I'm uh, doing a lot of psilocybin. I need to get out of my head a lot because I feel pretty terrible most of the time, drinking a lot, that kind of stuff. And uh, if this continues to cycle downwards into full-blown addiction by the time I'm in my, my mid-20s. And that summer, when I, when I was 23, I attempted suicide twice in a two-day span. The second day, I overdosed. I woke up the next day in a lockdown unit, which is a pretty terrible way to wake up. Um, and, and I clearly I'd survived the overdose, but I spent three weeks in that lockdown unit, three months in a long-term care facility, what we would have called a mental institution 50 years ago. And it was there that I finally realized, wait a minute, maybe the issue is not this misdiagnosis, but it, it's an issue of you know, struggles with drugs. And so I decided to check myself out of that, that, at a long-term care facility. I moved to Arizona to live with my grandparents. They were the only people that would take me in at this point and spent almost four months going through what's called step-down detox. And for those of you who are not in the medical field, that means taking a little bit less of these drugs uh, slowly. Like I said, it took me almost four months until it's, they're finally out of your system. And in the spring of 2010 was the first time in over a decade, almost a decade and a half actually, that I had nothing in my system. And that's when I really started rebuilding my life. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot in there. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. 
Like, how did you have that inner strength to quit and detox? Yeah, well, so there's two answers to that. Number one, uh, by the by, my my second month in the long term care facility, I very much was doubting my diagnosis, and that was because I got to know people in that facility with mm-hmm. bipolar disorder, and, and I started going, wait a minute, that that doesn't look like what I'm going through. And I also got to know people struggling with substance misuse and addiction. And I went, oh, oh, that I recognize. <laughs> Those are my people. <laughs> so I, I recognized that the diagnosis wasn't the, the most accurate. And I'm glad I did because uh, recently, about three or four years ago, I got a lawyer on my side and got all of my, my old records. I, I you know, went to all these facilities. I went to CBS, Walgreens, and basically open records requested all of my documents. And what was fascinating was reading my therapist's notes from this long-term care facility who said point blank, he did (sighs) not think that I had bipolar disorder. So he also thought that I I was misdiagnosed, but he wasn't willing to help me get off the medication because uh, sadly that's kind of industry standard is you, you you know, when you have these issues, you get on serious levels of, of medication. Now, the other answer to your question is, uh, about two and a half weeks or two and a half months into this, my stay in this long-term care facility, my closest friend there attempted suicide. And uh, that was not as uh, outside the norm as you would think. Um, during my three months there, four people lost their lives to suicide. It was a very traumatic place. And, and, and I, I mean that with the full weight of that word traumatic. But fortunately for this person, I knew what to look for when it came time to, to when, when it came to signs of suicide or ideation and, and planning suicide. So I stopped her. Um, I, I, it was an incredibly difficult night, one of the hardest nights of my life. We hear a lot of talk around, you know, just people who survive uh, or, or, or lose a friend to suicide and, and uh, the survivors and what that feels like. We don't hear a lot of talk about people who directly intervene and how incredibly difficult that is. Like, like I said, we lost four people while I was there. The one that I remember the most is the one that I directly stopped. So very uh, difficult thing for me. And thankfully, that gave me the strength to check out of this place. You know, I could not be there anymore after almost losing this person. And and that came into play because at this facility, if you leave, uh, if you check yourself out, instead of being discharged as I did, at least 10 years ago when I left, uh, they make you go to these therapy sessions, which they still did at the time. And, And I hope they don't do them anymore because this has been disproven. But if you've ever seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the therapy they did in that movie where everybody sits around and just gangs up on someone, that was the type of therapy I went through. And I had to go through that one last time in order to get my discharge. And that day was incredibly difficult. I had literally people with 50 years in the therapist, uh, you know, in, in that in that community, um, you know, people who are have the most the highest PhDs in the world telling me that I was an idiot, that I was throwing my life away, that I was a fool. And I had to just sit there and take it because if I if I tried to resist too much, they could block my my wit, uh, my, my ability to leave. So if I wasn't so angry at the fact that, that this place almost allowed my friend to die, I don't know that I would have been able to take it. 
but because I had all that anger in me <laughs> telling me, ignore these people, they're idiots, they don't know what they're talking about, that is really what allowed me to uh, to sit there firmly and, and then leave the next day. That's horrible. That's crazy. I yeah. hope they don't do that still. I hope so too. I have no idea. Um, I've actually... I've thought about going back. I went, I went as far as to reach out to them and, you know, kind of was very interested in as like a retrospective. Right. In fact, I was going to do this last year, 2020, uh, mm -hmm. it was going to be my 10 year anniversary of leaving. And yeah. I had this whole trip planned that included going back to this facility. And then of course COVID happened and it all got canceled. So, um, you know, it's still a thing that I'm, I'm interested in doing, uh, but I doubt they would let me just come watch a therapy session. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not really sure. Well, you should definitely do it and see if they let you. It would be very interesting if, if they did. So what do you do now? Well, I'm literally talking to you right now. Um, but, but my, my oh, yes. life is it, about five years into recovery. I got asked to tell my story for the first time. And, and after demurring for a while I finally gave in and it was an incredibly therapeutic and exciting experience for me I, I uh that night in front of about 150 people told the story it was it was incredibly well received and um it kind of launched me in this new direction up until that time I was still I was in full-time uh fundraising mode I, I worked for nonprofits for over a decade uh, and then went and was doing politics on the side. I, not long after this, made that my full-time gig and ran political campaigns for a couple of years. But all the while, I had this side business of telling my story, of doing some one-on-one -on -one work with people struggling um, and, and consulting around these issues, writing about these issues. And finally, in 2019, uh, I decided to make the leap full-time. And since then, now for two, the last couple of, you know, two and a half years, I have been doing this. I, I, I you know, I, I was a public speaker before COVID. Uh, thankfully, as we record this in, in uh, you know, sort of late spring of, of 2021, uh, things are opening back up again. And I've been invited to do a, a whole number of, of events in the next couple of months. So I'm very thankful for that. Uh, but I also run a couple of storytelling events to, around these kind of issues. Um, and uh, I, I host my own podcast called Choose Your Struggle, which covers the issues of mental health, substance misuse, and recovery. Uh, and I do some consulting, some writing, all that kind of stuff. But, but this is my focus, is, is helping to end the stigma around these issues and ensuring that those who need the help get the help they deserve. That's wonderful. Why is there such big stigma around mental health, do you think? Yeah, so there's there's kind of two, a couple factors at play here. Number one, you know, um, we as people are always a little, we're not the best when it comes to people that look or act differently than us, right? That's kind of the basis of a lot of issues in our in our society is that we are very inward looking, and, and you know, people who study sort of uh, the human life of our species, you know, from, from that outside, sort of outside perspective, will say that, you know, evolution-wise, our evolution will teach us that that used to be a really important thing, right? I mean, way back a million years ago, yeah. you needed to protect your own clan. You needed to care more about your own people. But that is a very outdated 
uh, expression these days, right? I mean, it, it, it doesn't really help us much to be so territorial in only protecting our, our in-groups. So that's a big piece of it is anyone who acts a little differently, you know, it's just, it, it kind of messes with our brains. And, and there's that there, but, uh, but by the grace of God go I thing where, you know, it is a little scary to think literally any one of us could struggle with our mental health. Literally any one of us could struggle with substance abuse and addiction, uh, substance misuse and addiction. So there is a little bit of mental gymnastics that goes into play of someone going, okay, but I'm not like them because, and it just makes a person feel better. We see this all the time. Um, so that's a piece of it, but also it's 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 the way we've treated people with mental health and substance misuse struggles forever right i mean when i say that i went to this long-term care facility that we used to call a mental institution i mean that's what we did to people we kind of locked them away and for every person who came out of there actually rehabbed for the most part it was it was a majority people who that was their life they were just there and I was around a lot of people like that when I was in this this um, long-term care facility, people who this was kind of just their life, you know, that they had been there for a long time. There really wasn't much of a plan for what rehabilitation would look like or, or a return to some kind of normalcy would look like. This was just what it was for them. And I'm very clearly not the person to talk about what a good alternative to that is. I can tell you from seeing it on the inside that ain't living and no one is, no one is happy in those situations. No. So what we, what can we do about this and changing this? That is a wonderful question. And I think that that is something I, I know more about what we can do differently when it comes to substance misuse than I do mental health, because it's a bigger question. Uh, because with mental health struggles, you do have a sort of biological issue at play that is difficult to treat. I, I mean, again, as someone who lives with uh, struggles with anxiety and depression and OCD, a big part of my life is simply managing these things, you know, and there are times when I don't do so well. Uh, now, I'm very lucky that those things are all mostly uh, manageable. You know, there are yeah. some struggles of mental health that are not, you know, a person with with full blown active schizophrenia cannot just simply, quote unquote, manage their schizophrenia. That will not be a thing that they can do. Um, so, so I, I don't have an answer for that. I can say as someone who has low levels or, or sort of more, more common issues of mental health, there are of course things we can all do on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, for me, at least mindfulness is a huge factor. Uh, I practice mindfulness religiously. Uh, I released a course on listenable, uh, in, in the winter about different mindfulness techniques that don't involve meditation because for me, at least, uh, meditation has never really given me the benefit that I, I, I know it can give to other people. Right. And I had to go really looking to find better mindfulness uh, practices that didn't involve meditation. And I, I wanted to, to, to make that easier on, on other people. I wanted to release this course so that other people could, could find that. Um, I personally am a huge believer in, in the powers of, of CBD and cannabis as a whole. I take CBD uh, pills every single day and they manage my anxiety like nothing ever has. And so, yes, a par part of that is all the mindfulness work I do every day, 
but it makes it easier, the CBD. And, and I think that we're still sadly on the precipice of understanding all the, the benefits that cannabis can bring because until literally the last decade, uh, our government blocked most research on cannabis. You know, there were a couple of, of scientists allowed to do this research. Otherwise, nobody was allowed to get it. So you're now finding all these incredible benefits that were denied to us for a long time. Interesting. What kind of tip, what's in your course about like mindfulness? Yeah, so the the, the, the course is uh, 10, 10 tips, I think. Don't quote me on that, but but it's, it's <laughs> something around 10, like 10, 10 tips. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, Three of them that I do every single day, and those are number one, um, they're, they're sort of uh, morning affirmations, right? And, and I, I yeah. preach the power of this because look, you're living in this world is going to be a struggle. There's going to be things that we struggle with every day, right? But if you start your morning on a positive instead of on a negative, it's a lot easier to bounce back when you get one of those hits that, that the day is inevitably going to bring, right? Right. So, so, so that's one of the, the tips. Number two is what I call the daily check-in. And, and what that means is uh, it, it's a bit of a journaling exercise, you know, pull out a piece of paper, a, a book, a whatever. I use my phone and write the words I feel and, and then finish it. And, and it can be as easy as I feel frustrated, whatever. And at first, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get very surface level uh, ideas around this. But as you do it more, as you get better at doing this, as you practice it more, you'll start dipping into your subconscious a little bit. And trust me, things will come up that will shock you. And that's a great thing, you know, because yeah. we can't deal with it if we don't know it's down there. So, no. so I personally recommend that one above all else. Um, if you, if something comes up that scares you a little bit, that's perfectly okay. Take that to your therapist. Uh, I've talked to a couple therapists about this and they love that because it means less digging on their part, right? If you walk in and say, Hey, I just uncovered that this thing is still bothering me from, you know, my teenage years, right? that's something that they would not have found with you for years of work, right? So, so that is a huge positive. Now, some of the stuff that comes up, you can deal with it yourself. I'm frustrated that my wife said this thing two weeks ago. Well, go tell her that, you know, hey, it really hurt me when you, whatever, you yeah. know? So, so that's a huge one. I recommend that one to everybody. It helps me a lot. And then the third one is I do a daily review every day. Uh, and what that means is I pull out my phone. I have an app that I love and I rate my, my day in a one to five. And I do this for two reasons. Number one, it's a great mindfulness practice to really go back through and think about your day and, and put things in perspective. Cause we can all, we'll get hung up on the one really good thing, one really bad thing. And all of a sudden that's our day. No, not really. That was one of 50 things that happened to you today. Right? So that's, that's piece of it. But the other piece is as a guy with depression, often my depression when it kicks in will tell me this is how it always is your life sucks you know all these horrible things and if i have an app where i can go back and look and say hey wait a minute it's been like this for two days before that i was feeling fine that's really reassuring that can help spur me out of that depression so so i definitely recommend that tip as well that tip is great because i think we get in this mentality of the victim and we need to get out of the victim mentality. Yeah, there is definitely a piece of that where it's a lot easier to to 
sort of become a self-repeating prophecy, right? Well, my brain is telling me my life sucks. My life does suck. Well, no, I mean, you know, a big piece of OCD is embracing the fact that every thought that you have is not important, right? Because we can get really fixated on a thought and, and that, you know, with OCD, we really focus on the, com uh, uh, the compul compulsive piece, right? You know, the, the whole stereotype of washing your hands 50 times. What we don't talk about is why that person is washing their hands 50 times. And that's the obsession piece. It's because their brain is telling them over and over again, if you don't get your hands clean, you're going to get sick and you're going to die. So, so helping to break that cycle is super important. And, and, you know, as, as you were saying, it, it's easy to get into that mindset and just keep repeating it. But if you have something that honestly reminds you, hey, you know, maybe that one isn't as true, that can be very helpful. And it's also helpful to know what you've done for the day, because a lot of times we forget what we do. 100% true as well. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. So... Tell me, I want to know a little more about what's, what's your podcast about? <laughs> yeah. How so long have you been doing it? I started the podcast in January of 2020 uh, because I was reading, I was seeing the writing on the wall about the whole COVID thing, which was, it was going to, you know, be really bad. And of course it was. So I, I needed to figure out a way to still have an impact during this time. And uh, I actually said to a client literally two weeks before I started my podcast, when he said, you know, you'd make a really good podcast. I was like, man, I will never start a podcast. Everybody <laughs> and their mama has a podcast. And then my best friend in the world, uh, who is a comedian by the name of Spark Tabor in Chicago, started a podcast. And I literally said to him, dude, I love you. But if you can do this, I can do this. <laughs> so I started my podcast two weeks later. And um, early on, it was just a way for me to keep getting ideas out and kind of putting them out in the world. And then I very quickly started realizing that all of these mental health podcasts that are out there, all these uh, addiction podcasts that are out there are one of two things. They're either celebrities yeah. sharing their experience, which is mostly yeah. entertainment, let's be honest. Right. It's, yeah. it's not really a lot of substance in there. Or it was researchers. And, and by the way, I love those podcasts. They're all research-based. But, but the fact is, those shows are not... Um, helping people currently struggling. They're great for learning new information. I, I listen to a bunch of them religiously, but, but they're not helping people in the, in the moment, right? That they're, they're really more changing the way we think about it long-term. So I started thinking, all right, how can I exist in this, in this world and, and provide something different? And my show mixes all of that together. I've had some pretty big names, uh, I've had some researchers, but the, the only rule on mine is that you have to have a direct connection to this. If you're just a researcher, no offense, but there are other shows for you. If you're a, just a big name who doesn't really have any substantive thoughts, you're, you're going to be okay anyways. You don't need my platform. So it, it kind of walks that middle ground. Um, you know, I, I give my, one of my stated goals is giving people who don't have a voice, otherwise a platform. So I've had a bunch of people on my show who, uh, if, if it's not their first podcast, it's pretty high up there. Um, and, and I'm routinely uh, searching out different voices than mine, uh, to talk about these experiences. That's cool. Do you have people who have like interesting stories too? 
Yeah. So, so this, the, the show mixes storytelling and, and, you know, talking about these topics. So yeah. the first section of every show is the guest telling their story. Yeah. Um, and, and that way we can, number one, help end stigma. And number two, show people that these stories aren't unique. I get called unique all the time and between you and me, it kind of frustrates me because yeah, I'm, I'm not it, it, unique. Yeah, I, I get, oh, you're so interesting. Oh, I can never do what you're doing. <laughs> well, like, it's not that that's not true, by the way, as you and I were talking about before yeah. we came on here, not everyone can do what you're doing. So props to you for that. But the idea that our experiences are less prevalent than they are is super hurtful, right? Because it means that yeah. people feel more alone. Oh, wow. Wait, if he's unique and I have an experience just like him, we must be the only two people in the world. No, no, no. There's no. 20 people like you and me on this block, right? We right. need to be talking about why these things are, 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 are all interconnected and how we are all similar instead of, you know, all this shit about how different we are. Yeah, we're all, we're more similar than we think. We're all different in beautiful ways, but yeah. we all have stuff in common that we're, that is being yeah. ignored. Right. God, God made us unique and different. So, so what's your big message for people who are struggling with mental health? Oh man, that's a, uh, that's a that's a that's a good question. I think a couple of things. Number one, I always share this whenever I'm interviewed, whenever I'm on something, whatever. And that is knowing that you're not alone. I think that's really important because when I was at my worst, I attempted suicide twice because I truly felt that there was like nobody there for me and I couldn't reach out to anyone, which is a bunch of BS. You know, there were so many that's people who, who cared. Uh, and here I am 11 years in recovery talking about this every single day. Clearly I wasn't as alone as I thought I was. So always reach out. There are people in your life who want to talk, uh, and, and want to be there for you. So that's, that's number one, definitely reach out. Number two is kind of going back to what we were just talking about, but remembering that there are others going through very similar things. And just because you don't hear about it, that's the stigma at play. It doesn't mean it's not happening, right? During the pandemic, they, the, the leading experts around this were estimating that one in every two people was struggling with anxiety, struggling with fear, struggling with depression because of this pandemic, right? And yet, that's not that dissimilar from every day for a lot of people. We just don't hear about it during the everyday. It took a pandemic no, 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 to wake no. us up, you know? <laughs> So, so it, it's just know that you're not alone. Know that there, that, that, that person who looks so put together on the outside could be going through something exactly similar as you. You're just not hearing about it. That's great. Is there anything else you would like to share? <laughs> Well, I do want to say thank you for this platform. I think that, you know, everyone who does similar work to you and me needs to be applauded. Uh, so, so Amanda, thank you so much for doing all that you do. And if there's any, ever anything I can do to help you get your message out, happy to do it. Thank you. Yeah. So where can everyone find you? So my website is jshiffman.com, J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N.com. The podcast, Choose Your Struggle, is on every platform. And I'll tell you what, if you find one it's not on, let me know because I'm gonna, I need to fix that. 
and you can find me as either Choose Your Struggle or Jay Schiffman on every social media platform. Sounds great. I'll put that in the show notes. Thanks for coming thank on and sharing. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, this was great.